The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled Breakthrough Therapies for the Prevention and Acute Treatment of Migraine, Addressing Unmet Needs in the Primary Care Setting. Access the entire activity and complete the post-test at peerview.com forward slash MWU860. Downloadable practice aids are also available. Hello, this is Dr. Jessica Ilani from MedStar Headache Center and Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. Welcome to this educational activity on migraine management. Migraine is a primary headache disorder, a neurological disease that's characterized by episodic attacks of throbbing, often unilateral, moderate to severe pain that can be worse with physical activity. Migraines associated with either photo or phonophobia or nausea and or vomiting. People may have different associated symptoms with different attacks, but usually have at least two of these symptoms if the attack is untreated. Up to 30% of people with migraine have an aura or neurological phenomenon that's most likely visual and occurs prior to the migraine. The more frequent and disabling form of migraine is known as chronic migraine. This is when a person is having greater than 15 headache days a month for more than three months, and at least eight of those headaches meet the criteria for migraine. People with episodic migraine can transition to chronic migraine and vice versa. Most people will focus on the pain portion of migraine, and this is understandable, as pain is considered the most disabling part of the migraine attack. In fact, a migraine attack actually has many phases. The first phase is known as the prodrome and is experienced by up to 60% of people with migraine. The prodrome has characteristic symptoms of nausea, mood and cognitive changes, yawning, food cravings, and a host of other symptoms. Prodrome can occur hours to one day prior to an attack. An aura for those that have an aura follows the prodrome and then the headache phase follows. The headache phase is then followed by the postrome and is often described by patients as a headache hangover. During the postrome phase, people describe fatigue, dizziness, low-grade headache, and cognitive slowing. In total, a migraine attack is much longer than the pain itself, and associated symptoms really do add to the burden. Migraine is a common disease affecting over 1 billion people worldwide and is more common in women. It's the second cause of years lived with disability. Even if you're not a neurologist, migraine is an important public health issue as it accounts for over 4 million office visits and 4 million emergency department visits in a single year. Most people with migraine will seek care with their primary care provider. For a person with migraine, the disease carries a large burden on their day-to-day -day life. About a quarter of people will miss work or a school day in a 90-day time period. A third of people will miss a family or social event, and about a half will not be able to complete household chores because of a migraine in a three-month time span. This places a large burden not only to the individual with migraine, but on their coworkers, family, and friends. Statistics about loss of productivity at school, at work, or at home provide only the rough outline of the impact that migraine can have on an individual level. Let's get some insight from a patient, the real-world personal impact of migraine. So the migraine started when I was about 10 years old, and they were terrible. They were terrifying. Um, no one really knew what they were initially. You know, eventually they realized it. You know, I did get a diagnosis of migraine, but it took a long time to get that diagnosis. And I can remember it now. It was a terrifying experience. Um, I had an aura where I couldn't see and I would get violently sick. My parents would have to take me to the doctor, sometimes the emergency room. And I remember 
just praying that they would put me to sleep. I don't know what it was that they gave me, but there was something, a shot that they gave me that would kind of put me out of my misery. So during my teenage years, I was able to um, better manage the migraine through diet, uh, but it still had a major impact on my life. Um, really in social situations, you just never knew when it was going to happen. I missed a lot of you know, fun opportunities, a lot of school because of it. Um, then they kind of uh, got better over the years until I got pregnant uh, with my with my second child and they were terrible. They came back with a vengeance. Um, it was in the, the uh, housing boom. I was a new vice president for a, a bank and I was a young woman. So I felt that there were already a, a couple, um, you know, marks against me as far as a career goes. Uh, and then I got pregnant and then started having the migraines on top of that. And they were terrible. And obviously because I was pregnant, I was limited to what I could take. And I would have to just go in my office. My husband brought in a couch into my office and I would shut the blinds and the door and I wouldn't tell anybody um, at all. I kept it to myself and it was terrible. And then uh, after I had my daughter, they got a little bit better. And then I was in my forties uh, and I started competing in triathlons and they came back with a vengeance again. And at that point I tried many different types of medications, but I was really forced to back off my training. Um, and it was sad. I, you know, I couldn't think of putting on a bike helmet or a swim cap or running. Uh, it was really, really terrible. That certainly was a compelling account of how migraine affects so many domains of a patient's life and their quality of life. Fortunately, as clinicians, we have an expanding number of tools for acute management of migraine, as well as migraine preventive treatments. These include newer medications developed on the basis of advancing knowledge about migraine pathophysiology. There has been an ongoing debate on the driver of migraine. Is it purely a vascular disorder or purely a neural disease? Past studies have suggested that changes in blood flow triggered migraine with and without aura. Newer studies, however, support changes in neural peptides that may be the actual trigger in migraine activation. Let's move on to discuss calcitonin gene-related peptide, or CGRP, one of the key focus points in migraine today. CGRP is a neuropeptide found through the body and in the central and peripheral nervous system. Studies have shown that during migraine attacks, CGRP levels rise, and if CGRP is infused into someone with migraine, it can trigger a migraine attack. If a tryptan is given to a person having a migraine attack and the migraine improves, CGRP levels decrease. These studies, and many others, have led to the discovery of CGRP-blocking therapies as the first migraine-specific treatment options. Anti-CGRP monoclonal antibodies for migraine prevention, oral CGRP antagonists for acute treatment of migraine, one of which is indicated for both acute and prevention of migraine. We will learn more about these and other strategies for acute management and prevention of migraine in the next modules of this activity. Every person with migraine needs a way to treat their migraine attacks. This is what we call acute treatment. The goals of acute treatment are that treatment will rapidly and consistently bring freedom from pain and associated migraine symptoms, not allow for migraine recurrence, and restore the person's ability to function. 
without requiring repeat dosing of medication or a rescue medication. Acute treatment should be self-administered, and the person should not have to go to the emergency department or come in to see us in the office for care. Acute treatment should have minimal or no adverse events and should be cost-effective for the person. Now, this is a large bar and is not something that is always met for every person with migraine. When a person with migraine does not have appropriate acute treatment, they're more likely to end up transitioning from episodic to chronic migraine, the more frequent and disabling form of migraine. Ineffective acute treatment can also contribute to medication overuse headache, which can worsen disability. We have many effective options for the acute treatment of migraine. Triptans are migraine-specific. Ergots, which have been used for a long period of time, are mainly used today in the form of DHE. DHE has been used in the treatment of migraine since the 1930s. Other effective treatments in migraine, such as NSAIDs and combination analgesics, can also help to treat migraine. These are often less sedative compared to triptans, but they can also carry some other side effects, especially cardiac risk, if they're used too frequently. Our traditional acute treatments can be helpful to many, but there continues to be an unmet need for those that need acute treatment for migraine. Sometimes patients will note side effects that cause them to reduce the use of their acute treatment or their medical contraindications that limit the use of therapy. For those that find our traditional acute treatments ineffective or have contraindications to traditional therapies, newer therapies may be effective. Lasmididan is a 5-HT1F receptor antagonist that avoids the blood vessels, therefore does not cause vasoconstriction. Its central and peripheral mechanism of action makes it unique and may be a good option for people with migraine who have vascular contraindications. Side effect-wise, it can cause dizziness, and it also has an 8-hour driving restriction after use. So sometimes this can be a big limiting factor when using this treatment. Remote electrical neuromodulation is a great option for patients who really prefer a non-medication option to treat their migraine. There are many different forms of remote electrical neuromodulation available. This particular device, the REN device, is one that has been approved in the last few years and is now available for acute and preventive treatment for migraine. There are three GPANs that are currently available for acute treatment in migraine, ubrojapant, remigipant, and zivegipant. These are all CGRP receptor antagonists, FDA-approved for acute treatment of migraine in adults. Ubrojapant and remigipant are oral tablets. Remigipant is an oral dissolvable tablet. And zivegipant is our first nasal spray GPANT option that should be considered for any person with nausea or vomiting when they have migraines and they prefer a GPANT option. GPANs tend to be better tolerated due to their more peripheral mechanism of action. Their side effects vary from nausea, somnolence, and altered taste and abnormal sensation in the nose for those that use the vegipant. We're going to focus on the CGRP antagonists. To start, we'll take an animated look at CGRP antagonism in acute treatment of migraine. Migraine is understood to stem from trigeminal nerve dysfunction. The neurotransmitter, calcitonin gene-related peptide, or CGRP, has been implicated in several pathophysiologic processes that may contribute to migraine attacks. It is thought that when the trigeminal nerves are stimulated, neuropeptides, including CGRP, are released from presynaptic vesicles. They bind to receptors throughout the peripheral and central nervous system and on meningeal blood vessels, glial cells, and mast cells. This causes vasodilation, increased capillary permeability, and protein extravasation, 
The binding of CGRP receptors on mast cells also causes the release of pro-inflammatory substances, all contributing to inflammation and neuron hyperexcitability of trigeminal nerve nociceptors. The exaggerated sensory input travels to the trigeminal nucleus in the brainstem into the thalamus for relay to the cerebral cortex. This hyperexcitable abnormal brain signaling causes the multiple pain and non-pain symptoms associated with migraine attacks. Small molecule CGRP receptor blockers, known as GPANTS, target the CGRP receptor and prevent CGRP binding. With CGRP unable to bind, the exaggerated neuronal signaling and activation of the trigeminovascular pathway is blocked, reducing the pain impulses and resolving migraine symptoms. Distinctly different from conventional first-line therapies such as triptans, ergots, and anti-inflammatory medications, the GPANs do not induce vasoconstriction. They thus may be a suitable option for patients with cardiovascular risk factors that preclude the use of conventional migraine therapies. GPANs are also not associated with the rebound or medication overuse headaches that are common with traditional therapies. Let's now review the data for GPANs for acute treatment in migraine, starting with vermigipan. The data from the Phase three clinical trials evaluating the efficacy of a single dose of vermigipan 75 mg versus placebo shows that approximately 20% of those treated with vermigipan had pain freedom in two hours compared to about 10% that took placebo. Freedom from most bothersome symptom, or MBS, at two hours was around 37% for vermigipan compared to 20 to 28% for placebo. We see similar results with ubrojapan. Ubrojapan was evaluated and available with two dose options, 50 and 100 milligrams. Both doses achieved about a 20% pain freedom at two hours compared to about 11 to 14% in placebo. MBS rates at two hours were around 38% for doses of ubrojapan compared to 28% for placebo. Zevegipan is a third-generation CGRP receptor antagonist that can be administered once as needed for a migraine attack and is the most recent to receive FDA approval for acute treatment of migraine and is a nasal spray. Zevegipan had a pain freedom rate of about 24% at 2 hours compared to 15% with placebo, and the most bothersome symptom freedom at 2 hours was 40% compared to 31% for placebo. There's been a post-hoc analysis reviewing the cardiovascular safety of G-pants, and several studies have found that there's really not been any differences in adverse events in those who have cardiovascular risk factors who've taken ubrojapan and those who had cardiovascular risk factors and have taken remegipan. There was also no difference in response rates. Let's hear again now from our patient about the difference that effective treatment has made in her life. So over time, I've uh, been prescribed several different medications. Some, you know, were over the counter, but many were were prescriptions. Um, and it was a lot of trial and error. There were some that were beta blockers, which I already have low blood pressure. So especially when I was training, that was terrible for me. I always felt like I was going to faint. There were some medications that I tried that really affected me cognitively, where I couldn't concentrate. Um, I couldn't remember things. Uh, I've, oh, I would always try something because the pain was so debilitating that I was desperate for something, but sometimes the side effects were just too much for me to bear. Over the past few years, I've taken uh, several anti-CGRP medications, 
And the first one that I took, I would think I was a super responder. I had had a migraine for about six months, every single day, some level of pain. I took the medication and I went a year and the response was unbelievable. Um, and then after about a year, it stopped working. So I tried the second one, which I had all right results. You know, there was some improvement, but it certainly wasn't as, as good as the first. Um, and I'm currently on my third and it's worked so well for me that I really thought I was cured. <laughs> I was very hopeful and optimistic that I was cured. So I stopped taking it about two months ago, a month and a half ago. And um, this week they came back and I had a humdinger for about three days. So I've started taking it again. So I don't think I'm cured, but I really think it helps. For a portion of people with migraine, attacks become so burdensome that preventive treatment may be needed. Prevention is the idea of starting a treatment with the hope of reducing attack frequency, duration, and disability, the hope to improve the person's function and reduce their disability, to reduce their reliance on poorly tolerated, ineffective, or unwanted acute treatments, and the hope is also to reduce overall cost associated with migraine treatment. There are several other goals for migraine prevention, but it's most important to realize that prevention is not a cure. The point at which prevention is started should always be up to the patient, but should be discussed when migraine frequency intersects with disability. This could mean a person is having two attacks a month associated with severe disability, for example, a person that doesn't have an acute treatment that works for any attacks, or they have hemiplegic migraine attacks, so having two a month is just not something that can be tolerated very well or they're having four attacks a month with no disability, and you might just want to start the conversation about prevention. It is agreed by experts, however, that if a person's having six or more attacks per month, prevention should be offered regardless of the degree of disability. When you're starting to offer migraine prevention and a person is going to have that conversation with you, it's important to counsel the patient on having a healthy lifestyle, optimal nutrition, frequent exercise, keeping well hydrated, sleeping on time, waking the same time every day, and trying to manage stress the best they can is important. If a person is able to identify certain triggers and trying to limit those triggers, that's always a nice option. But we do our best not to try to get the patient into blaming the themselves for having a migraine attack, like, oh, I ate the wrong food, therefore I have a migraine. This can be a very problematic approach as well. We often will advise the person to keep a migraine diary to track how often they're having attacks and if there's certain kinds of activities that might trigger the attack or if they took certain treatments to treat the attack and if it was helpful or not. If a person is going to start a preventive option, whether that's a medication, a neuromodulation device, a lifestyle change, it's important that they have goals and expectations of the treatment. We usually try to aim at reducing frequency by 50%. We're trying to see if we can get the attack frequency down, but also the duration of the attack and severity down. We're hoping that acute treatment works better and that overall their disability is down as well. When it comes to selecting a preventive treatment options, there are many things to take into consideration. 
it's first important to involve the patient in this discussion as you want to review the efficacy of the different options available, tolerability, and this really makes a difference if it's going to be a new medication or something that has been around traditionally for a long time where we might have decades upon decades of safety information. You want to know historically what their response has been to prior treatments they've been on, even if it wasn't for migraine. For example, if they've been on an antidepressant in the past, if they had a certain kind of reaction, this might really help guide what treatment you're going to next. You want to also understand other comorbidities they have. If a patient has uncontrolled asthma, a beta blocker might not be a good idea. If they're already on two antidepressants for mood control, adding another antidepressants, and perhaps even avoiding a beta blocker, these are all things that you're going to start to consider. The most important thing, though, in selecting preventive treatment is that most patients who are going to see you in clinic for migraine are women, and many of them are childbearing and have the potential for childbearing. So it's a very important conversation if you're going to start a preventive treatment option that can be teratogenic, that the patient is on two forms of birth control, is aware that they shouldn't be trying for pregnancy while on that preventive option, and has an understanding of how long they need to be off the medication in order for childbearing to occur. If it's an oral medication, it's usually about two weeks. If it's an injectable monoclonal antibody, we're looking at five to six months. And so sometimes this is something you're going to take into consideration when selecting a preventive treatment option. We have many different preventive options that have established efficacy for migraine prevention. Of those options, some are migraine-specific and some are oral traditional options like topiramate, valproate, mentoprolol, divalproate sodium. These are FDA-approved for migraine prevention and have been around for a very long time. We also have candesartan, which is an antihypertensive and has level A evidence for migraine prevention. Some of our newer therapeutics, the CGRP monoclonal antibodies, as well as onobotulinum toxin A for chronic migraine, have level A evidence as well for migraine prevention. Some of our medications that have level B evidence are amitriptyline, some other antihypertensives, memantine, and the combination therapy of onobotulinum toxin A and CGRP monoclonal antibody for migraine prevention for chronic migraine. When we take a look at the medications that we have for migraine prevention and really trying to differentiate our traditional medications with our newer migraine-specific medications, those that are focused on attacking CGRP and trying to reduce CGRP in the system, we know that our CGRP medications are more specific for migraine. They come in either sub-Q or IV in regards to the monoclonal antibodies. They don't require dose titration. They have very little in the way of side effects, whereas our traditional medications do have many side effects. They take time for dose titration, and they also take a long time for onset of action. They also are very low in specificity for their target. They're not migraine-specific. They've just been found to be effective through a variety of different studies. Still, there are some patients who will respond to our traditional medications and won't respond to newer treatments and vice versa. So it is important to realize that having a wealth of options is important for patients. We also have available two oral G-pants for migraine prevention. One is Remigipant, which is also available for acute treatment of migraine. Remigipan is dosed at 75 milligrams every other day for prevention of episodic migraine. 
Studies showed that when using Remedjapan every other day, there was a reduction in frequency of migraine at weeks 9 to 12 at 4.3 days less compared to 3.5 days less in placebo. Side effects were similar to those when you're using Remedjapan acutely, nausea, abdominal pain, and dyspepsia. Atojapan is a novel molecule available only for migraine prevention. It's also an oral G-pan. It's available in three doses, 10, 30, and 60 milligrams. And it's also under FDA evaluation for the prevention of chronic migraine. Atojapan, when we looked at the 60 milligram dose, showed a reduction of 4.4 days less compared to 2.95 days less at weeks 9 through 12 for migraine prevention, so reduction in days of migraine. Side effects of Atojapan were constipation and nausea, fatigue at a lower rate. Daily use of Atojapan over time was demonstrated to be safe and well-tolerated at the end of a year. And again, frequently seen side effects were constipation and nausea. This was a long-term open study. They also saw rates of UTI, which is commonly seen in long-term open-label studies. Remijapan evaluated over the course of a year for prevention. Again, patients were using this every other day. They were also allowed to use a dose as needed on unscheduled days if they had a migraine attack. He found that about 81% of patients took less than 16 tablets a month. What this indicated was that patients weren't really taking a lot of as-needed remijapan. So they were finding that it was working well within the realm of taking it every other day. Again, most common adverse events were similar to those in the pivotal trials. And then you saw adverse events that you see in the general population over the course of a year, like UTIs, nasopharyngitis, and back pain. Now let's talk a little bit about the CGRP monoclonal antibodies and the similarities and differences between the four that are available. We have arenumab, freminizumab, galcanizumab, and eptinizumab that are currently FDA-approved for the prevention of migraine. These are approved for both episodic and chronic migraine. Arenumab is the only CGRP monoclonal antibody that targets the CGRP receptor, and freminizumab, galcanizumab, and eptinizumab target CGRP ligand. Arenumab, freminizumab, and galcanizumab are subcutaneous auto-injectors that can be done at home. Eptinizumab is an IV infusion, can be done in an infusion site, and can also be done at home with the nurse coming to the house, but most often this is done at an infusion location. In studies of the CGRP monoclonal antibodies, they all were shown to be effective compared to placebo, whether it was for patients with episodic or chronic migraine. And when we focus down on a greater than 50% reduction in monthly migraine days, we can see that almost all of these medications had a 40% or greater response rate. Sometimes in clinical practice, we get questions from patients who are on a CGRP monoclonal antibody about adding on a GPAN. So can we actually block an additional amount of CGRP if a patient's already taking CGRP? While we don't have direct placebo-controlled trials that are comparing the effect of someone who's on a CGRP monoclonal antibody taking a GPAN for acute treatment versus placebo, we do have some real-world studies that have looked at the combination of GPANs and a CGRP monoclonal antibody and found that patients who are on a CGRP monoclonal antibody and add on a GPAN can find it to be an effective treatment, whether they're on a renumab that blocks the CGRP receptor, similar to a GPAN, or on a CGRP ligand-binding monoclonal antibody. 
So let's conclude this program. Safety and efficacy of acute and preventive migraine treatment is critical, but patient-reported outcomes are an important element in treatment decision-making. Patient input on the efficacy and tolerability of their treatment, as well as the impact of migraine on disability and quality of life, are important for guiding clinical treatment decisions to continue, add, combine, or switch treatments. CGRP-based treatments may be better tolerated in many people with migraine and are easy treatments to start in a primary care practice. As we conclude, I want to thank our patient for sharing her insights on living with migraine. And thank you, our participants, for sharing time in this activity. I hope you found it informative and useful to your practice. Thank you for listening. Download materials and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash MWU 860. This activity is supported by independent educational grants from AbbVie and Pfizer.